Blog Talk Radio. Let me go on the record here and just say the following. We've got ourselves a war, ladies and gentlemen, a wrestling war. Does anybody care? Oh, yeah, some fans do. Some fans just want to fucking watch the shit. So I'm going to just go out on a limb here and say the following. Enjoy what you want to enjoy. Bicker and argue what you want to argue about. And above all else, we're going to talk right down here in the language that everyone here can easily, well, I don't want to spoil the rest. And during the few moments that we have left, we want to talk right down to us in a language that everybody here can easily understand. Tonight, yours truly, Brian Rails, has a lot to cover. And so, I'm going to do so with starting off with Raw in Nashville. And let's see here. There's a promo for Crown Jewel. Then out comes Becky. And then out comes Charlotte. And Becky says if it weren't for her, or not, uh, Charlotte calls Becky and said, you know, if it weren't for me, you'd be Becky pre-show. Let's see here. Da, da, da. Um, they're going to continue with the draft. So let's see here. Raw chooses Becky Lynch in the second pick. Let's see. Oh, wait. This is old. This is old. But the Usos. And then Raw picks Bobby Lashley. SmackDown chose Sasha Banks. U.S. title match, Jeff Hardy versus Damian Priest. There's a twist of fate, then a swanton. Then Austin Theory came out for a selfie. Basically duped Jeff Hardy into thinking that he was going to fanboy this shit. Then turns right around and short arm goes on to Jeff Hardy and takes a selfie while Jeff is completely knocked the fuck out. Moving forward from that, let's see here. RK Bro is seen in the back talking about the draft. Then Seth Rollins, okay, so Seth Rollins and Damian Priest are coming to Raw. SmackDown is Shinsuke Nakamura. Big boobs. SmackDown. Also gets Sheamus. Heyman and the Usos are seen backstage. Then the draft, the third round pops up. Raw, AJ Styles. And almost, SmackDown chose Shayna Baszler. Raw chose Kevin Owens. Zia Lee goes to SmackDown and Big E. Andrew McIntyre promo together. Then out comes Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode. 
Uh, we're going to pause 10 seconds for station identification right here on Wrestle Radio Network Saturday edition. Welcome to the show, ladies and gents. <laughs> History lesson, another story to history with, uh, well, Dolph Ziggler. Big E was once upon a time the bodyguard of Ziggler. McIntyre was also part of that entourage a long time ago. So there ended up being a tag match between Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler versus Big E and Drew McIntyre on Raw. And nonetheless, there's a lot of one-upsmanship in this. Well, technically not a lot, but Big E ended up hitting, well, about to hit the big ending, but then uh, McIntyre drags himself in, sets himself up in the corner, getting ready for the Claymore. It's really obvious. He hits it. One, two, three, and then Bobby Roode comes in once more. Big E hits the big ending. He basically said, if you want this so bad, I accept your challenge at Crown Jewel. And that was that. Moving on. Let's see here. The fourth round in the draft picture. Let's see here. The Street Profits. SmackDown has the Viking Raiders. Raw had Finn Balor. SmackDown shows Ricochet. Fifth round is Karrion Cross. Second. Let's see here. SmackDown, Roberto Carrillo, and Angel Garza for the you know, tag team division. Raw then chooses Alexa Bliss. SmackDown shows Cesaro, still Goldberg. <laughs> yeah. After that whole thing, Goldberg came out to the ring. And then Lashley tried to interrupt. Then Goldberg beat the ever-living crap out of uh, Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander, which made me sound very entertaining. But let's see here. Let's see. Raw addresses Edge. Uh-huh. Seth Rollins addresses Edge. Blah blah blah. Orton calls out Omos. Then there's another draft promo. Blah blah blah. Raw chose Carmella. Who gives a shit? SmackDown chose Ridge Holland. Interesting. That's an NXT pick. So I guess the big man got his call up because of his size. I don't know. Maybe he showed something to the boss that we don't know. Raw shows Gable Stevenson. SmackDown shows Sami Zayn, Charlotte Flair versus Bianca Belair. Becky in commentary. So the second week in a row, Becky Lynch cost Bianca Belair a match. And are we all are we all that surprised? You have to have a good story built for that one. That was Raw. I thought it was fairly decent. No more past the mic bullshit because you are competing against AEW. <clears throat> What's weird is AEW draws a lot of, you know, a lot of an audience demographic from 18 to 49, but I digress. Speaking of that, we're just going to 
right past here on a Tuesday night. You know, it was NXT 2.0. And let's see here. Oh, yes. AEW. Mm-hmm. I'll get to them later. But as far as I'm concerned, let's see here. Oh, okay. <laughs> Got enough notes for here. All right. Got enough notes for NXT somewhere. Okay, that's Rampage, which was only one page of notes thus far, folks. Uh huh. Okay, I know I have it somewhere. Okay. I guess we will pause in seconds for actually 20 or 30 seconds for a station identification right here on Wrestle Radio Network, home of weekend wrestling. Dig it. All right, so the beginning of NXT 2.0, yeah, Jensen Briggs, Ace, MSK. It's a promo for the Fatal 4-Way Tag Team Main Event at Ember Moon versus Mandy Rose. Could give a shit less. Mandy Rose is a great talent, but the match to me was not boring. It just, it screamed obvious with Gigi Dolan and Jane sitting in side and two Cameron Grimes versus Pete Dunn with Ridge Holland then you saw Von Wagner and Kyle O'Reilly talking in the back Von Wagner strikes me as the boring big dude I just being honest and if we're being honest let's see here Ron Breaker challenges Champa so I like what Champa had to say he said you have uh, three weeks to go from an intern to a PhD. Then you had Joe Gacy, who creepily sits in the ring and talks about making the ring a safe space. Kind of funny, but also sad at the same time. Then MSK was interviewed, and then a brawl broke out. Then Gacy and Champa were seen in the back. And then Champa basically... Said, I know what you're trying to do, and accepted Gacy's challenge for the NXT champion. Or no, he said, if you win, if you beat me next week, you get an opportunity for a championship. So let's see here. Cameron Grimes versus Pete Dunn with Ridge Holland. Let's see here. It's a lot of ground and pound. And then let's see here. Pete Dunn tried his joint manipulation and then ended up with a bitter end at the end. O'Reilly interfered. And then O'Reilly comes back in, gets the crap beat out of him by both Ridge Holland and Pete Dunn. 
Malik Gladys versus Tony D'Angelo. I'm going to say this about Tony D'Angelo. He was your basic power dude. Big guy. Grappler. Boring as fuck. Grabbed a lot of headlocks in his first match. I'm guessing that was a sign of I'm nervous and I'm on, you know, I'm on the big time now type thing. But then again, as the match progressed, it was more of, all right, cool. Whereas we've already established that he grabs a lot of headlocks and he uses power moves to get this fucking match going. So it wasn't bad. It's just, dude, don't grab as many headlocks. Because then that means, are we watching session at the performance center or are we watching a match this is my take on it personally speaking dude all right so yeah diamond mine do their promise you got more background on the characters from uh well group members if you will from diamond mine malcolm bivens gave you a little fucking insight as to what each member was i could give a shit less okay raquel gonzalez calls out mandy rose then you see Shirai and Zoe Stark come to the aid of the NXT Women's Champion because you have Toxic Attraction, which I don't know how many female trios can go on in WWE history, but oh well, this is the newest one, Toxic Attraction. And um, yeah, Raquel Gonzalez would have gotten the beat down, but thanks to Io Shirai and Zoe Stark saving the day, it was that. Von Wagner tells, uh, Van Wagner, I should say, tells Kyle O'Reilly it's him and O'Reilly versus Dunn and Holland. But, you know, the real effects or the real uh, concept of the draft doesn't take effect until two weeks from now after Crown Jewel. So Ridge Holland is still going to have their match with Pete Dunn or his match with his partner Pete Dunn to face Kyle O'Reilly and Van Wagner. So this should be interesting, right? Then there was a fatal four-way elimination match for the Tag Team Championships. And allow me to elaborate. MSK retains. They're not a bad tag team. They're mainly flippy, flippy shit. They can do ground and pound. They can do it all. Um, That's probably why MSK held the attention a lot from the powers that be because they are the NXT Tag Team Champions, and that's that. So... Transitioning into AEW, which this is going to be hella interesting, folks. And I mean hella, hella interesting because next week on a supersized SmackDown, Friday Night SmackDown on FS1, I will talk about this later, but I'm just going to give you a preview. AEW and WWE used to go head-to-head on Wednesdays. Now they're going head-to-head for about a half hour against each other because AEW doesn't start their shit till well 10 o'clock because they love being fashionably late and they know a lot of insomniac wrestling fans like myself and other insomniac wrestling fans will be up watching wrestling some of us but I digress so I'm gonna fast forward into their shit which God only knows help us all right AEW Dynamite, you know, there's no breaks in between, folks. This is a wrestling podcast, and we must report wrestling. Anyways, 
So you have the Super League, Adam Cole, Kenny Omega, and the Young Bucks versus Jungle Boy, Luchasaurus, Christian Cage, and the American Dragon, Brian Danielson. So to start off the match, you had Jungle Boy and Nick Jackson with a lot of flippy, flippy shit. Adam Cole gets a series of uh, chops in, and then Jungle Boy takes a lot of punishment. Brian Danielson had a lot of series of kicks and strikes. And the Luchasaurus came in, and the crowd was really happy in Philadelphia. They really were a big guy beating the shit out of small guys. And then Christian Cage gets sprayed in the match. Gets sprayed in the match, uh, you know, that's to be expected. And then, uh, let's see here, there was an indie taker on the ramp by the Young Bucks to Christian Cage, which was pretty cool, I guess. Then, let's see here, there's a lot of tags by the Super Elite. It's like a revolving fucking door. Then the Young Bucks, instead of the Super Click, just kissed Adam Cole on the cheek. Or cheeks, I should say. Not ass cheeks, folks. Facial cheeks. You had Brian Danielson and Omega facing off against each other, which made the crowd extremely happy. Then you had a Tiger Suplex. And then Adam Cole, a low blow. Jungle Boy, Hurricane Run off the top rope. It was a bad powerbomb, you know, on trying, you know, attempting to powerbomb the Luchasaurus by the Super Elite. And then a Panama Sunrise by Adam Cole, baby, one, two, three. And then then there was a promo by John Moxley. After Moxley came CM Punk. And uh, he said, I'm glad I'm immersed back into the community. And then talked about living in Philly from 2002 for a little while. And then he basically challenged Daniel Garcia, which, you know, I don't know. Haven't heard much about his career. I'm really, really sorry. Then Arnerson, Arn Anderson was seen at Cody's house. And mind you, Arn Anderson said, you threw us away. So he took Cody's suit, a trash can. And lit that bitch on fire. Boy, it was beautiful, wasn't it? Arn Anderson going absolutely nuts on national TV. Can't get better than that, right? And then Bobby Fish was promoted about facing Sammy Guevara. And then it was a match between Sammy Guevara and Bobby Fish in the United or the TNT Championship, my bad. Tend to get confused. There's an exploder on the buckle. Let's see, but before that, there was an average Falcon Arrow done by Bobby Fish, and it was beautifully done. Safe, clean, what have you. An exploder on the buckle. Let's see here, I took a lot of fucking scribble on this. So then <laughs> Guevara, after the match, was getting attacked by Del Santos and a whole bunch of things. Page was a distraction. If you ask me, this group is kind of, um, well, we're not after retarded. They're getting reaction like they're supposed to. And it says, Jericho ran in to save Guevara with Hager. And then he just heard promo back and forth between Jericho and, well, the retard who's on the mic all the time. That just, I don't really care. I don't care for him at all. He's just the uh, El Trodden Down version of Paul Heyman. Which is sad. They're mimicking each other, folks. To be expected with AEW and WWE. But I digress. Then you see the acclaimed promo about the AEW tag team titles. 
I'm not going to repeat that horrible thing they call or attempted to call rap. God forbid they fucking sucked. Uh, let's see here. The acclaim reminds me of who? Who do they? Who do they remind me of? Oh, yes. They're the uh, watered-down version of the Street Profits, if you ask me personally speaking. Let's see. Tony Schiavone then talks about AEW being on TBS. And then it was unveiled that there would be a tournament for the new TBS championship belt, and that will be in the women's division. After that, you see Jim Ross interviewing Darby Allen. And Darby Allen is asked about, you know, the adversity that he faced. So he talked about his uncle passing away, talked about NJF. And then Darby Allen listing versus Nick Camarado. Well, that was an interesting match, say the least, but Darby Allen ended up beating Nick Camarado with the coffin drop one, two, three. Then QT Marshall tried to uh, give a cutter to Sting, and Sting got right back up. Scorpion death drop. Let's see here. Shivani interviews Ricky Starks. Actually, Ricky Stark basically promoted the FDR championship. Brian Cage comes out and basically beat the shit out of Ryan Starks, or Mr. Starks, until, until, uh, the rest of Team Taz came out and saved his ass. And then Kiri Rashida versus Sarita Deeb. You want to talk about an intense matchup? I mean, Kiri Rashida was undefeated in AEW. She was 49-0. and So if she would have beaten Sarita Deeb, that would have made her 50-0. and And they pre-jinxed her with a trophy standing outside or, you know, sitting outside the ring and said, congratulations on your 50th win. Imagine if you were Sarita Deeb and you had to see that shit. That's like, I'm going to use football in this comparison. That's like Raiders fans seeing Chiefs fans still lording it over their head. We won a Super Bowl back in 2020. All I have to say is every year or every match is a new one. So uh, can't count your eggs before they're hatched. Okay, so... (laughs) Moving forward, see here. Okay, there was a Serenity lock. Serena Deeb ends up winning, and Kirishita put on a hell of an offensive show. Allow me to explain. There's a lot of flippy, flippy shit. There's a lot of shit on the outside, and Serena Deeb is one intense broad. Very, very intense and very, very good. Let's see here. And then Serena Deeb ended up breaking the trophy over her opponent's head anyway, so... Nice try, Sheeta, I guess. Okay, so then Darby Allen basically asked about what NJF had said about challenge. And then out comes, out pops a limousine, out pops members of the Pinnacle, which I think is the stupidest name for a faction. Anyways, they ended up beating the ever living shit out. Darby Allen, and then Tony Schiavone was in the ring with Britt Baker, and Britt Baker basically said, boy, am I glad these catty women, jealous women, are not going to be coming after my title. They'll be, you know, wrestling for their 
own shitty title, essentially is what she said. But not in those exact words. Okay, so there was a casino ladder match. So we have Orange Cassidy and the Bastard Pock. Two men start out the match, and every five minutes or every ten, whatever, somebody else would come in. So let's see here. Radio Idolo came out next. Matt Hardy. Lance Archer was basically the big man. Uh, let's see here. Moxley and, oh yes, the man that surprised everyone in AEW's world. And that was Hangman Page. The man who originally faced Chris Jericho for the uh, inaugural AEW championship two years ago and now he has the poker chip or whatever they have it's kind of the equivalent thereof to money in the bank but it's called a different name and it's dressed up like a poker chip and anytime this hangman's page decides that he wants to cash in that poker chip whatever to face Kenny Omega he can and he will but we don't know when and we don't know where all right, let's get to the let's get to the fun shit, shall we? So, AEW Rampage. Yeah, folks, this is a lot of reviews, but you know what? It's cool, man. It's cool. You had CM Punk versus Daniel Garcia. Now, I must tell you, I've seen CM Punk is essentially. One of those dudes that will always give the audience whatever they want. And it doesn't matter what night of the week is, what day of the week it is. He will always, and I repeat, always put on a show for the audience. And that's exactly what the match was with Daniel Garcia. You saw a lot of back and forth. Daniel Garcia trying to get submissions on Punk, then Punk slowly but surely methodically working his way back. He'd come back a little bit, then get beat down again. Then he'd come back again and then get beat down again by Daniel Garcia. And it was a great pace match. Then Punk hit the or to you know put a slapped on the Anaconda device on a Garcia, and that was that. That's it. That's all she wrote. Lucha Brothers versus the Acclaimed for the AEW Tag Team Championships. Okay. Lucha Brothers retained. It was a lot of flippy-flippy shit. And let's see here. Jade Cargill versus Sky Blue. Eh, it's okay. I mean, Jade Cargill made it work for what she did. It's all gravy, folks. I mean, some people... Basically dominant in every single one of their matches, but so crazy. Um, and then there was, let's see here. Thunder Rosa runs in with the chair that she got hit by Jade Cargill. So Jade Cargill ran. Then you had a main event, which was a Philly street fight for the FTR or FTW World Championship. You had 
Ricky Starks versus Brian Cage. Cage, uh, Brian Cage showed an early offense, and then Starks, you know, basically took advantage with helping hands. So in other words, he just beat the shit out of like any normal fucking heel would, and then at the end, unfortunately, because of all the interference. One, two, three, picks up the victory over Brian Cage. And I'm sitting here going, well, at least it wasn't totally shit-tastic for AEW. I mean, their matches, essentially, from what I saw on Dynamite and Rampage, is AEW reminds me so much of a glorified version of the Independence. I could watch that shit in the Independence. It's just not on network television. And I'm being dead honest with you. So Dynamite and Rampage, yeah, okay, they did okay. They did their job as far as getting a message out, right? What kind of me- or what story, what kind of message are you trying to send to your viewers? So wrestling this weekend, folks, consisted of me basically blathering on about what happened on Raw, NXT, AEW. Dynamite and AEW Rampage, but we're not done yet. We still have oh no, I'm dead serious. We're not done yet. We still have one more show to get underneath this. Actually, we have one more show to get on this podcast, we have a lot of fucking time to do it. And ladies and gentlemen, I do not own the rights to Smack Friday Night SmackDown former theme. So bear with me now. All rights reserved. Jim Johnson, WWE 2018, 2019, whenever the fucking ended this theme. You get the gist. Smackdown from San Jose. Holy shit. Let's have some fun, shall we? Oh my goodness. Okay, well, you know what? This is a lot to write about. <laughs> and essentially, I thought it was going to be a lot more. But started off the night as it normally does for any night on Smackdown. We're going to write, we're going to write. And when you write, you're right. Smackdown from San Jose. Crown Jewel contract signing. And it was supposed to be Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair, and Sasha Banks. But that didn't happen because Bianca Belair was 
sick of hearing Becky Lynch and Sasha Banks essentially tell them if it wasn't for me, if it wasn't for me. Bianca Belair then took the fight to both Sasha Banks and Becky Lynch. And essentially she kicked Sasha onto the table and KOD'd Becky Lynch also onto Sasha through the table. I like wrestling when they skip the past the mic Olympic sport and then get straight to the fucking violence. You feel me? I mean, I and others like seeing this. I like seeing the aggressive side of WWE. So then, let's see here. SmackDown. It showed Bianca Belair, Charlotte Replay. It showed Becky Lynch. And, not Becky Lynch, but Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair Replay before the KOD through the table. So then, let's see here. Ray and Dominic Mysterio were interviewed about King of the Ring. And then you saw Sami Zayn versus Ray Mysterio. And essentially before the match, Sami Zayn said, you know, you're much better off without your father to Dominic Mysterio. So then during the match, Sami Zayn takes off the turnbuckle. Dominic gets up on the apron Essentially cost his dad the match. I mean, there's a lot of miscommunication between Ray and Dominic, but we'll get to that later. Dominic's little, uh, not power trip, but his honesty trip kind of cost, it didn't kind of cost, it cost Ray Mysterio a spot in the semifinals for the King of the Ring tournament, and the winner gets to go to the finals to face a member from Raw, and that dude will then become King of the Ring in two weeks. In Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. So, let's see here. Seth Rollins was interviewed about the whole attack, you know, like personal attack on Edge, him invading his home. Blah, blah, blah. I said, I'm not responsible. I will go out to that ring and I will challenge Edge. Okay. Queen of the Ring. This tournament, dear Lord. You want your head to do a 360, kind of like you, you've seen in The Exorcist with Linda Blair. She turns her head around and her whites of her eyes are shown. Yeah. This tournament, I'm not so fond of because they have women matching up with one another that are complete. You know, they're not complete jokes, but the concept is a complete joke. You have Zelina Vega versus Carmella. Why? I mean, come on. Selena Vega did hit a code red, but who cares? I mean, so can Alexa Bliss, so can any other female or male that's been involved in independent pro wrestling. Uh, let's see here. Carmella versus Liv Morgan. Again, Carmella takes advantage with the mask, except for in a different statute of limitations. It's one, two, three, thanks to interference from that, you know, mask. Who cares? Oh, yeah. Happy Corbin and Mad Cat Moss. So instead of having the Street Profits on the episode, they have Kevin Owens getting the hell kicked out of him again. I don't know why they're trying to tease a feud, or not tease a feud, but they're feuding Kevin Owens and Happy Corbin the fuck ever. Oh, yes. Finn Balor versus Cesaro in a qualifying match for the King of the Ring tournament. 
There's a lot of technical wrestling to begin the night, or begin the match, I should say. Finn Balor and uh, Finn Balor and Cesaro basically went back and forth. And then the cool thing was, you know, Cesaro hits a superplex from the top and then goes straight into the cross base. So let's see here. All right, you see a coup, yeah. A coup de draw from uh, Finn Balor. One, two, three. So he advances to face his good, well, former friend, Sami Zayn. And the semifinals for SmackDown next week. Then there's a recap of the contract signing from Bianca Belair. And, oh, I forget, Naomi has a match with uh, Sonya Deville next week. But I don't think it's going to be very fair. But anyways, I digress. So Becky Lynch goes off on Sonya Deville and Adam Pearce. But they eventually get her to sign the contract, which is kind of funny. Seth Rollins goes out to challenge Edge, but before that, there's a supersized SmackDown promo where Brock Lesnar is going to be there. Zayn versus Balor in the King of the Ring tournament. Carmella versus Zelina Vega. And then Becky versus Sasha in the main event next week. This is going to be a big deal. And I'll tell you why later. But uh, Seth Rollins ends up calling out Edge. Edge shows up in a black Escalade. After Edge beats the ever-living crap out of Rollins, spears him, grabs the leg of the chair, almost puts him in the crossface. And then, just so you know, Rollins elbows Edge in the neck and then exits stage left after Edge was about to pull that leg of the chair up to his teeth. Basically stretch him. So I think SmackDown Live or Friday Night SmackDown did their job. Um, there are a few matches that made me go hmm, not surprised, but also why would you have Zelina Vega and Carmella of all people in the in the final not finals but semifinals of the uh, Queen of the Ring tournament? I'm just saying, makes little to no sense in my humble opinion. All right, so we're going to switch gears, folks, if you will. Now, normally, this is the point in the show where if you have small children and they listen to this segment, I feel sorry for them because I drop more F-bombs than D-Day. The following content contains expletive, suggestive language that may or may not offend my listeners. And all I can tell you is Off the Rails Uncensored is a trademark podcast that was coined and phrased Off the Rails Uncensored on March 7, 2016. All these reflections and viewpoints and opinions are not direct reflections upon the companies, the following companies, AEW, WWE, APJW, NPJW, ICW, GCW, you name it. Also, those of you trying to replicate off the rail uncensored, boy, you guys are in for a treat because it is not only punishable by law, there is a $45 fine for every time you try and use that. So without further ado, folks, monkeys in the truck, can you please my music? 
Oh, no, no, no. We're not going to stammer into that. Come on, man. get into the AEW rant about what Tony Khan had said on social media. Let's talk about one of the hottest topics actually shows, if you will, going around professional wrestling outside the ring, which is, you know, the title of the show, Dark Side of the Ring. Not a lot of people are familiar with the, uh, uh, the story about the death of Gino Hernandez, gorgeous Gino Hernandez. Some wrestlers and some big names know about gorgeous Gino. One of those names being Bruce Prichard, another being Jake Snake Roberts. Um, so, let's see here. There's another guy from World Class Wrestling, David Manning, who was the booker, promoter, and referee at one point. So, there's just, let's see here, Gino did not really know who his father was. He had a stepdad growing up, his mom, you know, at the age of 12, Gino had to realized that his dad, Luis, was not coming back. And since then, he was motivated, you know, to be a professional wrestler. But anyways, Kevin Von Erich talked about him. Jake the Snake talked about him. It came from a single mom who was a model. And uh, he had tag matches with Jake the Snake Roberts and Chris Adams. So during the show, you saw Conrad Roberts, or Conrad Evans, you know, Evan Husney, and Jason Eisner. The host, uh, the creators of Dark Side Ring. Um, David Manning had some very kind words to say about Gino. He said that he reached the magnitude of Macho Man Randy Savage. Now, that's a pretty big deal because this was a very strange story, folks. When I, you know, had to rewatch it, I've watched this probably like three or four times outside of the normal things. So. Um, Janice Gillespie, who had been a divorcee of Gino, said that she divorced him in 1986 for safety purposes. Um, And also, let's see here, in 1986, his tag team partner at the time, Chris Adams and him, parted ways. And there's a lot of that goes into this. So it's kind of odd because David Manning said he missed a show in Oklahoma. Then when he missed the show in Houston, that's when a lot of people start throwing up red flags, Gino's whereabouts. So his body was found in a condo and been dead for four to five days, according to authorities. Okay. 
And then, you know, during Act 3, Gino's mom, Patrice, was, uh, she was told by this random gentleman that John Royal, that Gino owed him a lot of money. And, uh, even Bruce Pritchard started talking about the events that, you know, led up to the funeral, but he also talked about the funeral, which I have documented quite well. And it basically says, he recalls it being that there's a platinum casket. And those things don't come cheap. And how people broke champagne glass, you know, glasses over the coffin of Dino Hernandez. So John Royal shows up at the funeral, and um, it was weird. He said, "You have good guys, you have bad guys," and Gino was definitely a bad guy, a bad guy, you know, in wrestling, and you know, he, wanted, he would want people to believe in whatever. He was trying to portray or convey to them as a bad guy. And a lot of people spoke on how that was one of the weirdest moments of Gino's funeral, considering this guy was one of the many suspects in Patrice's mind, Gino's mother, that uh, she literally said, I suspected John Rowe because he was one of the guys around Gino during Gino's death or his last hours before his death. So John Bruce Pritchard basically talked about Paul Bosch and Jake the Snake Roberts basically also talked about Paul Bosch. And to confirm things, folks. There were rumors going around that Paul Bosch was had an illegitimate child, and it may have been Gino. But then Patrice said, "I would know if I, you know, if I had, you know, screwed around with another guy." And Paul Bosch wasn't even, you know, around me during that time. Is basically what Patrice said. So there's that. Um, you know, some interesting facts throughout this whole thing. The autopsy report for Gino basically said that he had ingested a lot of cocaine. And during this episode, you know, there's some tidbits here and there, like the uh, Evan Husney and the other dude had basically stated that Gino Hernandez may not have been known by other wrestling fans but for a former promoter to say he could have been up there with the Randy Savages or the the other people so the other people being like Rick Rude or Rick Flair even because Gino was one of those guys that lived his gimmick and essentially, the way I saw this episode of Dark Side of the Ring, gorgeous Gino Hernandez would have fit in perfect in the 80s and 90s wrestling. He could even fit in today. Could have even fit in with DiBiase's group, the Million Dollar Corporation. I mean, the way that his mannerisms were, the way he carried himself, 
lifestyle probably would have been a problem and Gino if he were alive today probably in my humble opinion would have ended up in rehabilitation so it's all good you know um <laughs> I think that this episode was very in depth about how there were a lot of rumors that Gino faked his own death there were a lot of um there were a lot of talks about foul play, and there was even a, a dude who came forward who wanted to remain anonymous. And even the hosts of the show, the creators of the show, Dark Side of the Ring, said we had to keep him anonymous when Conrad asked them, how did you get a hold of this guy? And to be quite honest with you, I mean, there were there were a lot of red flags. Like if somebody padlocks their door or deadbolts it, it's for a reason, because back in the 80s, a lot of people believed in the bullshit. You know, that kayfabe was still a big thing. It wasn't like the whole Montreal job with Bret Hart where people were let inside the backstage area feel, and now the Smarks, some of them, had more, more insight. So Gino's death, I mean, it came, in my opinion, from what I saw, it came too soon. Because imagine if this dude was still around. He used to be, in my opinion, he would have been, he would have worked his way into WWE or AEW, and uh, he probably would have been successful. Because then, from what I heard, you know, briefly during snippets of his promos, he literally had what Jake the Snake Roberts was quoted as saying: "You either have it or you don't." And he has charisma. That's something that lacks in modern-day professional wrestling is that some guys have the look, but they just don't have the promo ability or the fucking charisma. So they make up for it by, well, looking the part. And Gino Hernandez not only looked the part, but after hearing him talk for his promo with the hair versus hair, Match with the Von Erics. Wow. I mean, dude was like, uh, he was very, very talented, very, very articulate. And uh, at the end of the episode, there was his former manager, Baby Doll, and she said something about one of the red flags that she saw was the cigarettes because she said he hated cigarette smoke smell. So, you know, the most beautiful girl in the world. Nobody would be allowed in with cigarettes. And she said that was kind of odd because Gino never smoked. I mean, he snorted cocaine, obviously, but this whole story with him and Dark Side of the Ring, wow. You want to talk about a dude who they said that it was self-inflicted. I don't know. I... With Baby Doll and a few others, that Gino was murdered, and there are some people that came forward about it. So it's all it's all good. I think we've uh, wrapped up the case about Gino Hernandez like five minutes ago, but you know, gone too soon, and his mother was finally able to get some closure, just somewhat. But, anyways. Here's the bulk, you know. Here's the bread and butter of this discussion tonight. So, 
on social media, there was a tweet left by Tony Khan. And basically, this tweet basically says, let me see here. We're not going to pause 10 seconds as an indication. I just have to pull it up here, if you will, folks. Okay. Yeah, they're headed to uh, face each other for at least a half hour. And I don't know. Your head. I mean, this is kind of bold coming from a not a so newbie, but uh, this tweet. I saw you're doing a half hour head to head with us. I can't wait to finally beat your main show head to head. It's been a long time coming. See you next Friday for AEW Rampage. This is bold coming from a guy who's only been in business for two years. I'm talking about professional wrestling. I'm not talking about the Jacksonville uh, Quagmires. I mean Jaguars. Allow me to elaborate. AEW's only been in the kitchen to not even put a pot on the stove and cook. A full meal, if you will. They've got a full fucking roster full of talented guys. Chris Jericho, Jake Hager, CM Punk being the main bulk of your fucking roster. Without him, without a few others, AEW still could float for a brief minute or two. But, I mean, if you look at WWE and how long they've been around, I'm not being biased here, but... A lot of fans are picky bitches. That's why you have a a divide, a distinct divide between AEW here, AEW fans here, and WWE fans on the other end of the fucking spectrum. Now, I could talk to you about ratings and give you numbers and give you statistics about why AEW is beating WWE. Well, here's why. I have memorized this from the time that AEW started. The demographics from 18 to 49 have always been in favor of AEW. Why? Because NXT 2.0, they said, was too adult-like, and 62-year-old men were the demographics for watching WWE NXT 2.0. So that means, that tells me, as one of the many fans, that AEW is sitting up top the perch and nobody's even fucking being able to challenge that. I got news for Tony Khan. It's going to be interesting. I'm not going to say one's going to come out on top of the other. But now that you've ired the attention of SmackDown and you're going head-to-head for a half hour, I mean, do you not learn anything from Eric Bischoff? This is the same guy that was quoted as saying, Mick Foley is going to win the WWF at the time, World Heavyweight Championship. And you guys really shouldn't watch that. And he told Tony Schiavone, ironically, he told Tony Schiavone, don't let It's like, he used to be employed with us. I mean, he was talking about mankind on air because he thought giving away the results would definitely turn them off to the idea that a guy like Mick Foley could win a championship. Now, I know Mick praises AEW right and left. 
But what Mick and others fail to realize is the time. I mean, if you back Vince into a corner, we've seen from historical past from 96 to about, well, 2002 or 2004, the WWE essentially has always managed to outlast the competition. No matter how great the competition may look, sound, appear to draw in an audience by the you know the people that write the stuff, make the stuff, produce the stuff. So let me inform you upon something. Don't spout off the mouth unless you can actually cash those checks, which you can, but I'm just saying don't buy don't cash a check that your ass count or yeah. Don't run your mouth. How's the old saying go? Don't write a check that your ass can't cash. There. In other words, don't jump the gun, dude. It's going to be a great half hour. And by the way, WWE's women's division probably needs to spice things up just a smidgen. But that's not the main focal point of this discussion. When you say something that bold, please understand, I'm not only going to face backlash, but that just dredges up old feelings. Of when Eric Bischoff said the whole, you know, whole spiel about Mick Foley winning the championship and how it wasn't going to be worth it. Are you sure you want to create that curse? That's the only concern that I have out of this whole thing. It's not a bad one, but why? Why would you do that? WWE's TV hasn't been that credible for a very long time, so now you got the old man basically. Caddy cornered. And how he works his way out of a caddy corner is even up to his imagination. I mean, he can be say that the Attitude Era would not have started if it weren't for the competition. Yeah, the NWO show from 96 to about 2000. Actually, that show's never ended, but you get my drift, folks. There shouldn't be a statement made on the internet of all places. I think it should have been a video statement, to be honest with you, Tony. That's just my personal opinion. You want to shove it to Vince? You already have, in a sense, that ratings kind of are going to drop from FS1. I mean, that's a real cheap shot. But, I mean, if the fucking dress shirt, or actually if the drag dress that she picked out actually fits and the ugly shoes that she picked out also fit, then what I'm going to tell you is that's like predicting a football game before it even takes fucking place. That's like betting on a baseball team even though you're not supposed to fucking gamble. And I know I don't ever say anything, you know, before my football team plays another football team because I know if I do, that's jinxing. So good luck. I mean, that's a bold statement by Tony Khan one must wonder how 
will it end? That's all I'm going to say is how will this, you know, 30 minutes of TV, my friends, how's it going to work? Because I'm going to be watching both. We'll see where the demographic is. Well, folks, that'll wrap her up for tonight on this edition of Wrestle Radio Network. Pizza Simpson could not join us. It's just maxing and relaxing, folks. And we will be back next week, Pizza Simpson and myself in full force for joining. You know, thank you for joining us on Wrestle Radio Network. If you'd like to reach us on our social media handles, it is Wrestle underscore radio for the Instagram. It is Wrestle Radio Network forward slash Facebook.com for Facebook and at underscore Brian Rails on Twitter. Thank you for listening, folks. Toodles, bitches. This guy's got to get some rest. Just started a new job, and uh, it's not too shabby at all. Just a lot of uh, groundwork to fucking cover. Anyways, if you didn't like what good old Brian Rails had to say, then I got three choice words for you. Forget about it. Good night. Toodles, bitches. Gotta get some shut-eye. <laughs>